Blog Talk Radio. Radio and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities of life. 
I'm also a board-certified integrated holistic health energy psychology, positive psychology, and energy and vibrational sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from interesting people, people who are making a positive impact in our world. And today, wow, we are really lucky because we are speaking with Reinhold Lohm, the founder of Boomerang Coach, an executive coaching firm specializing in leadership and career development, innovation, and transformational change. Now, Reiner's mission is to mobilize and develop leaders to create a more sustainable and positive future for everyone. Before becoming an executive coach, however, Reiner had a 30-plus year career in technology, He started and developed software businesses and led leadership development. And as an executive coach, he works with leaders and change makers in a wide range of organizations from startups and multinational companies to nonprofits and local communities, all who aspire to create transformational change. Whether he's working with corporate executives and entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs or indigenous tribal leaders, Reiner's clients appreciate his international business and cross-cultural leadership experience. And today, Reiner's here to offer wisdom from his new book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change No Matter Where You Are. Welcome to the show, Reiner. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. It is a pleasure to have you join us on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? I'm good, uh, T. Uh, I, I really uh, love your introduction, and I'm very happy to be here. Well, very happy to have you. I, at your book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change No Matter Where You Are, it is a thorough and practical guide to bringing about peace in our world, actually. And as far as timing, wow, we need this more than ever. <laughs> you know, when I received your book, I felt based on the PR that was included with it, that it was marketed more toward business or anyone in a leadership position, which it kind of is. But then I read the preface, which made me want to read the introduction, and that's when I was hooked. Your book is for everyone across the board, and I loved that you made that clear when you ask in the introduction, who is this for? You specifically ask that question, and then you follow it with an answer, formal leaders, informal leaders, entrepreneurs, elected leaders, those who develop leaders, but my favorite was anyone who wants generational change. And that means everybody in the world, everybody else, amen. <laughs> and I will add, I firmly believe this book should be mandatory reading in schools because this is not something that's taught. You know, if it were, we wouldn't be living in the world as we currently know it. So having said all of that, and I read your story and I found it extremely moving, I would love it if you could please tell our listeners about the inspiration that led you to create the Aspire Leadership Model. Can you do that for us? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and thanks. Uh, it, it is true that this book is really for, for anybody that wants to create positive change. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, my, my inspiration came from, I would say, two areas. One, I have been in leadership all and um, I have seen the power of leading with emotions, which is not something, as you said, that is taught in school or, or in universities or, or in the corporate world. Uh, it, it has become a little bit more, you know, people talk about EQ, but when I come into companies, even if they go through all the EQ, you know, emotional intelligence tests and, and assessments and coaching, people still struggle with it. Okay, so... So this was one inspiration that 
from my own experience as a leader, I have seen how p- powerful it is, both me leading with emotions as well as coaching in that domain. What is possible? What changes are possible? The other thing is that I, um, I really care very much about the future of this world, um, this, the planet that, and the society that we leave behind for our children and, and future generations. And we, I grew up in a divided country. I grew up in, in Germany on the western side, uh, and uh, uh, I, you know, ex- experienced how people were living on the other side. But this was basically we're divided ideologically, but also by a physical barrier. But then I came to the U.S. and I have been living here for a while now. And again, I live in a divided country, only mm-hmm. that we are. Today we are divided not by a physical wall, but we are divided by emotions, resentment, anger, hatred, uh, fear, and so on. Uh, the mass shootings that we experience um, again and again uh, is just one example of it, but there are many other examples of the, of the divisiveness in the world. And we have these huge challenges like climate change, like uh, social divide, economic divide, racial divide, and so on. And we... we we're able to overcome them. I, I think we have the solutions, but we have to agree on it. We have to come together. We need to be united. And in order to do that, to overcome the emotional divide, and we need to create an emotional shift because emotions drive our behaviors and our actions, and they are the most powerful drivers of our behaviors. And so that's basically my motivation as a contribution to to the field of how do we create a better world and I think we need to lead in a different way. And these emotions lead, in my experience, to a different level of consciousness as a leader so that we act differently. Once we are moving it into those emotions, we are going to act and behave differently as a leader. And unless somebody has really deep mental issues, but everybody can learn those emotions and those emotion-based leadership skills. Absolutely, anyone can. And I, I want to say that the preface of your book, The Intangible Force, is really what, what I looked at and thought, is this what was a catalyst back in November of 1989 when you were on vacation in Cuba that led you to do what you do and ultimately write this book? Yeah, this was one of, this was obviously a very significant event uh, in, in my life. I had other uh, deep experiences as well, but this is one that uh, inspired me to really understand what really happened there. Because at that moment, when the wall fell, when the wall came down, I was in Cuba that night, and when people um, told me the wall came down, I thought they were drunk. I didn't believe them. Uh, and and so I, I went to bed and not believing that the wall had come down. I, I thought it was not possible. But then later I learned... Uh, uh, it, it took me a few days because Cuba didn't have open media, you know, open newspapers and so on, and they were not supporting immediately on it. And so I had to make phone calls home, and it was a little bit cumbersome at that time. But the point is that this greatly influenced me, but it also inspired me to learn how how is change happening. And I, I learned in that example, um, if, if you want me to share that, I do. Everybody, <laughs> everybody can be a change maker. And what happened basically, um, you know, when I grew up uh, on the western side, my cousin Heinz grew up on the other side of the border in East Germany. And while I could speak up freely on the western side of the border, he w- was executed for just speaking up. Uh, at that time, yeah. it was about the uh, voting rights were. Um, 
were taken away from people and he he was very politically interested he was very young he was like in you know like a, a end of his high school and so on and uh, he uh, he brought his friends together and said we need to do something about it we need to tell people about it they are not aware of it and uh, a couple of years later uh, you know the, the government found out about it you know secret service basically a stasi called stasi in germany and mm-hmm. uh, and the, they picked him up at night and his friends as well abducted him he came in front of a, a, a a tribunal, a military tribunal, the Soviet military tribunal, and they sentenced him to death and they um, transported him secretly to Moscow. And th- that's where he was executed the day before his 21st birthday. Mm. So, yeah. so, so this was a, this was a, 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 people were living in fear. Now, later things became, <coughs> excuse me, came a little bit better, you know, uh, after Stalin than under Khrushchev. Um, but Still, it was very repressive and suppressive in terms of freedom. People were in jail if they expressed any opposition. The point was like in the summer of 1989, um, in the city of Leipzig, um, where everything started, where the, the peaceful revolution started, people were still very pessimistic. They were people were leaving East Germany still in the thousands, basically uh, through, um, through Hungary and through some other means. And a friend of mine who wrote about in the story as well, Anke, she was uh, 17 at that time. She also uh, escaped um, in the summer. So people were still very pessimistic. But in by early September, suddenly there was a, an emotional shift happening from pessimism, from fear, uh, to courage and to optimism. Uh, as was part of a small group of people that were gathering in the uh, Nikolai Church, Nikolauskirche in Leipzig hosted by two young pastors. Uh, just they wanted to provide a space for people to express their frustration, uh, to talk about it, to pray about it, and so on. But after these peace prayers, they were regularly held every Monday night, they were peacefully demonstrating outside the church. But that group of people from a handful at the beginning of September to um, later in October had grown to 320,000 people in the city of 500,000 people, where basically more people were marching in the street than uh, were watching from the windows. And what that meant was basically the crowd was too big that the police could shut it down or beat them up and put them in jail. Mm-hmm. They just had become such a force. So every single person that didn't watch behind the curtain anymore went down the stairs to the street to join in, made a difference. Now, the same that spilled over to other cities so that millions and millions of people were um, demonstrating peacefully. Uh, and uh, on November 9th, when actually the, the night when the wall came down, uh, the pressure had become so strong that when they walked and marched to the wall, that uh, basically the authorities and the, 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 the guards at the, um, at, at the border, uh, the gate, would open and not shoot them. Uh, or not put them in jail. And that was the, what happened that night. So it was not who Springsteen or Reagan that brought the wall down. Now, they right. facilitated in a way, you know, there was a movement, but I just think the, the people really created that pressure. And, and uh, the, the, what created it was the, was the emotional shift to optimism and to courage that propelled them to take those steps and, and march in the streets and make that difference. 
And I think because of that, you're living that, knowing that, seeing that, hearing that, uh, that was probably something that just brought all this out in you so that years later you could write this book because you went through this process yourself in being able to make things happen because of the effect of the emotions on your behaviors. And that is what is at the core of the Aspire leadership model, which consists of seven essential leadership behaviors for creating aspirational change and the seven emotions that drive those behaviors. So you kind of lived it all before you wrote about it, which is makes it even more. Yeah. It makes it more real. You went through it. You know, it works, you know, it works and you're sharing it with everyone. Yeah. Um, And in reading the book, you could tell. And I think it's really important because I know sometimes people buy a book and flip through to the section they think they need for a quick fix. And then they forget about the rest of the book. But you can't do that with this book. It's not that type of a book. There is a sequence in that the competencies covered in each chapter build upon each other. And that's what makes the process work. So when you go and get the book, don't skip over the very first part of the book that is the preface. A lot of people don't read that. They just go to chapter one. It's critical to read the story because while you explained it and you did a great job, there's so much more emotion, I think, in you as a reader when you read a story and you can mull over each word and say, wait a minute, what, and go back to it. And that's critical to getting into the rest of the leadership model. You you must have done that on purpose because it really works. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, and I had obviously great advisors um, as well that that influenced um, how it, it becomes accessible. And I've been teaching and coaching for uh, for a long time. I have been doing leadership development at Hewlett Packard, where I was uh, starting software businesses as entrepreneur, if you want, and grow them. I uh, have applied uh, these competencies, these seven uh, uh, emotions uh, and, and leadership behaviors in leading people and, and growing a business and, and influencing people in a positive way, uh, as well as leading myself. Right? And then in coaching, I, I have done the same. And when I facilitate innovation and transformational change, it, it, it becomes like the, um, the foundation for, for everything that helps people in the right leadership situation uh, because each of these emotions map to a specific leadership challenge or situation uh, every leader every change maker has to go through uh, when they when they create positive change uh, that they know which which emotion do I need to be in now in order to show this specific leadership behavior that I need now yeah that makes for the best leaders because then you are able to speak with people without coming from a place of defense or attack you know you just you don't do that <laughs> you, you're right along yeah. there with them helping them along too so it's great now we know that there are seven essential leadership behaviors and seven emotions that drive those behaviors may we go over those yeah i can i can quickly summarize them if you like sure um, that'd be great uh, the, yeah the, the, so it's built like a pyramid as you as you alluded to that it's built from the bottom up but uh, so the first three uh, our empathy, uh, I'm starting with the emotions, our empathy, compassion, and interest. And empathy drives mm-hmm. uh, um, caring. Uh, caring is it's very important for leaders. Uh, caring organizations, the research has shown, perform much, much better than non-caring organizations. Uh, also, uh, if, if 
people, um, you know, employees, whoever, stakeholders look at the leader and, and see that the, since the leader's not caring, they don't trust that leader. Um, so, so empathy drives caring, but caring is not enough. You, you might, let's say, you might feel empathy with somebody, you might feel their suffering, and then that's why you care. But if you don't act on it, it doesn't really help that person. You, you cannot well, serve that. That's where when that's, compassion comes. That's right, but that's true. But if the, if the employer, let's say, isn't caring and the, and the employees ultimately do not care, then nobody's caring at all because that's what would happen. If somebody doesn't care about you, you kind of don't want to care about them. You don't want to do So it actually it, it works in reverse if people don't use their empathy and care. Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And, but the employees in this case, I am using them now as an example, or let's say the team members of, of a team mm-hmm. leader, uh, let's say the, 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 they feel, oh, the, the leader is caring. I see that also often, but it's not acting on the caring. I know right. that, that, you, that you need this new tool or whatever, or that I need to, uh, you have maybe a, a sick child at home, but I need you to do this work, right? So if the leader doesn't act on that caring, that's where compassion comes in. Compassion includes empathy. So the feeling of compassion, I'm talking about the emotion, not the virtue of compassion, but feeling compassion compels you to act. It commits you to act on, uh, on the caring. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and so that leads to, that leads to for, for a leader to serve people's needs. But the, the, the third one, which is interest, is really um, also very important because very often there are leaders that don't know what they're talking about. But especially when a new leader comes <laughs> into a new leadership role, they, if they're not interested, we have, we have, as I've seen this very often, we see it sometimes in the political field. Um, sometimes. And, and you might, <laughs> that they don't know what they're talking about, right? They may be right. too far from the issue. Uh, so let let's say let you are a political leader and you talk about healthcare and say we need to need, the healthcare system needs to meet better people's uh, needs and and so on and, and but they don't understand the healthcare system they will not be able to come up with a better vision right, right. so so interest is the emotion that drives the understanding so the sustained interest I, I purposely chose interest over curiosity because curiosity is typically a little bit more short lived. But interest is more sustained and longer lived and deeper, a deeper interest. So those are the three that build the foundation, empathy, compassion, and interest, driving caring, driving the commitment to serving the needs of the stakeholders, and then the interest that drives the understanding. Now, with that and, foundation... And that, before we go into the next foundation level, um, those three right there, and all of these, I'm going to say, are actually... Uh, great for parents as well, because sometimes if a parent doesn't take an interest, if they don't care about a certain thing that the kids are doing, they're just being quiet. And so therefore it must be okay. And they don't have the compassion to listen to the kids when something goes wrong and they don't want to understand what it is that they're trying to do that can cause a problem. So it really, this really is more than just leadership. I know the book is geared to that, but I really think that it's also geared to anybody in any leadership role, which includes parents. So this could be applied yes. to that structure as well, correct? Yes, absolutely. Parents, teachers, mentors, yep. anybody that deals and, and takes care of children, especially with children. Uh, some people might have not been uh, raised with the idea that children uh, um, have something to say. <laughs> they have needs. Right. Like they're more like 
autocratic or so. Though I grew up with that generation that was a little bit more autocratic leadership, and you do as I say, and so on. But uh, so you had, I had to retrain my parents also. Well, yeah, I told my father, I have needs too, no? <laughs> you yeah. need to listen to. <laughs> and my children have done the same with me, you know, when I was not listening to that, you need to listen, I have needs too. And and so <laughs> it's, it's opening up, so you're absolutely right. This is for parents, it's transformational. If you, those first three, empathy, compassion, and uh, and interest cultivate, in those moments, in those critical moments, they change everything. I have seen it, and I'm using them in my parenting. We discuss them actually a lot in my family, and my daughter, you know, she's very interested in it as well, and 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 my son and so on. And so it's it's a wonderful conversation, even having just a conversation about it. Yes. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. So then we go on to um, the optimism. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. The next like three are a little bit more future oriented. No? So now the first three help you really. Uh, empathize and understand the situation better and, and the needs of the people and so on. And based on that foundation, now you can look forward and the leader uh, can create a vision for the future. So if the leader understands the needs and saying, how would the future ideally look like? How would that future look like where these needs of my stakeholders are perfectly fine, perfectly met? And we can pick any example, you know, we could pick education, we could pick healthcare, we could pick, you know, many different um, needs that, that people have. So, so opt- optimism is, um, is the emotion that drives, that allows a leader to look forward, that looks into the future and to envision a better future. Okay. Mm-hmm. Without optimism, if, 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 so I come in very often into a situation where a leader is in an emotional state or in a mood. Mood is a little bit more sustained emotional state than, than just an emotion popping up. So that's why people use sometimes mood as well. But if that leader is in a mood, in a sustained mood of an, an emotion that is more, keeps him more, his mental energy in the past, right? So for example, resentment is such an, such an emotion. If the leader says to somebody, like it's the, it's the emotion, this is the story of victimhood. Somebody you know, did that. My boss didn't give me the promotion, or doesn't give me um, the the the, uh, the tools I need, or the the people I need to or the, to be successful in my job, and whatever. So that that leads to resentment, and then the person is, is stuck in in the past and cannot move to optimism. So optimism is absolutely critical. We can later talk a little bit more more about it because there's different ways, different types of optimism also. Right. But the next one, if if a leader has, let's say, developed a vision and, and, and everybody understands it, it's then, then the question is, is about inspiring people to mobilize them for that vision. To, to, like, so if you start up company, for example, and, and it's like an entrepreneur, and he, he has this wonderful vision, this beautiful idea, but he needs to uh, mobilize investors, needs to mobilize people that join him or her uh, to help him you know, develop the product or the services. Uh, and you can pick any field. You, you, you talk about children. It could be like, like somebody, childcare center. I talked yesterday to, I coached somebody who wants to keep children safe, no? and ch- safe mm-hmm. in caretaking place they are in schools and in, in early childhood and so on. 
Uh, she talked also about keeping elder, elderly people safe. Like, so she talked about the vulnerable. And so she had a business idea around it. Now, her challenge is now, so we discussed this, kind of how do I mobilize people? So how, what is my vision? And then how do I mobilize people for that vision? And that's where inspiration comes in. Feeling, the leader feeling inspired, him or herself, and being able to inspire others. Inspire, inspire doesn't always require to, to be a charismatic leader. That's what many people believe. There's many other ways inspiring, and, and I, I talk about that uh, as well in the book. But that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the next one. Now, so let's say assume a leader has mobilized the resources and the people he or she needs. Then the question is of how do I create effective action, coordinate effective action together, which means collaboration. How mm-hmm. do I make sure everybody collaborates towards a common goal, you know, creates a plan towards the vision and, and then, you know, executes on it. And that's where, that's where trust comes in. Mm-hmm. Without trust, trust, no collaboration is possible. I have seen that many times where, you know, I had led, I've led a lot of global teams, built and led a lot of global teams. And uh, very often in the early stage, people from different countries they had to collaborate they didn't know each other and so there was trust was relatively low so i had to bring them together to get to know each other in person do you know activities together so that they get to, to know each other as human beings uh and, and and build that trust so that collaboration later was possible without me being always involved to to overcome issues right. so these are the next three so it's optimism, inspiration, and trust, which drive visioning, mobilization, and collaboration. Right. And then the final one is positivity. That's important. <laughs> yes, uh, things go wrong, right? So we have experienced yeah. that with the pandemic. Many businesses went out of business. Business owners went out of business during the pandemic. Uh, and some made it. But a big difference is how resilient, so when a setback comes like that, and setbacks come all the time because, you know, there's disruption in, in the economy, there's disruption in maybe in the business itself or disruption through the competition or whatever or on the client side. But the, the disruption uh, creates basically a setback and the, the old plan that somebody had is not valid anymore. It's not going to work anymore. And uh, so the... The leader, the leader needs to be resilient, but also needs to be able to facilitate and foster resiliency among the, within the team and within the organization with, with all stakeholders involved. And research has shown that when, when people fall into, you know, spiral down into negativity, they will not be resilient. You can just easily picture it, right? So there's something happened. Let's say you have you have an accident in the street, right? It's a setback. You had planned to go to a meeting or whatever. You come into an accident. Somebody bumps into your car. If you freak out that moment, it's going to solve the issue, right? If, right. if you fall into anger and resentment right. and maybe express that. But if you stay calm and say, okay, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to call the insurance, exchange cards. I go through the procedure and then fix that issue as quickly as possible, and then I go on to what I had planned. I come to it later. My plans, I change my plans, but that's kind of, it's really the emotional state that helps you to move through this setback 
and that's true for business leaders and at the larger scales as well, right? Uh, and so, but positivity is not just a, it's not a single emotion like the other six emotions. It's a palette of positive emotions. I combined them to make it less complex, and so people can understand it better. But this, this, uh, you know, positive emotions. They include the ones that I shared before, like inspiration, optimism, uh, interest. These are positive emotions that can be cultivated, but also joy, uh, uh, gratitude, uh, hopefulness, and awe, and many others. So you have the, the nicer, the beautiful thing is that when I coach leaders uh, in or somebody in a setback or in adversities, I let them choose their source of positivity so that the negativity they experience can be balanced with positive experiences that create positive emotions. So they stay more calm, they stay more. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It's something they can relate to, the one that that they want to work with that will help them through. Because if we dictate one thing to them, it won't work. But if they have one of their own that they're particular to, yeah, it will be great. Yeah. Yeah, I just had a a, a coaching client a few days ago. She asked me if she wanted to work uh, on like cultivate gratefulness, gratitude. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the exercises that very often is suggested, I have that in the book too, is journaling. No, journal like write down all the things you are grateful for. And she she said, I I don't do very well with journaling. I have tried it and it doesn't work for me. And I said, well, is there are there other ways that you can cultivate uh, gratitude and she said yeah um, uh, I like the idea of a, of a gratitude jar like you write a little card you write on the card what you're grateful for and you put it in the jar and the jar fills out of over time and you see visually you know for all the things that you are uh, grateful for and she said it works wonderful for me and, yep. and so this is a source of positivity but I mean, you can be super creative with anybody. For some, it's music. For some, it's a walk in, in, in nature. For others, it's maybe a meal with their favorite person. Um, and then, and, and, and. that's just great. So those are our seven essential emotions for leading positive change. And here, we're going to take a short break to talk about this week's Soji Share, and then we'll get back to the book. So. We are sharing stories about kids from all over this planet who are not just filled with hope, but they are motivated. They are creative, they're focused and passionate, and they want to make a difference in this world. And our goal at Soji Kids Org is to spread joy, hence our name Soji, which is an acronym for sharing our joy intentionally. And this week, our Soji share is Kelvin Doe. Now, Kelvin Doe is one of Sierra Leone's most famous inventors. He is living proof that lack can either be a limitation or a challenge. He is from Freetown, which is the capital of one of the poorest countries in the world. He was born in a slum in 1996, and at the same time his nation was trying to recover from a civil war that had only ended a few years earlier. And at that time, there was still talk of massacres, war crimes, and unhealed wounds, so it wasn't the best of conditions at all. Kelvin was black, African, and poor which are three characteristics that didn't seem to bode well for him in a world dominated by rich white men in the Northern Hemisphere. But Calvin was a very optimistic and cheerful kid. And he he had this hardworking and dedicated mom and no dad. And Calvin was curious and he wanted to learn. So he attended school, which wasn't the norm there like it is here. He chose to attend school. 
And we all know that electronic devices have pretty much taken over our world. And whether planned or not, those devices are obsolete very quickly. And everyone wants the newest model, which creates a lot of technical garbage. And no one questions where it goes at all. So all that waste ends up in countries like Sierra Leone, Ghana, China, and India. And in those countries, there are places generally near the poor neighborhoods where that type of waste accumulates. So many poor families make a living digging through that waste, and they rescue items that contain some type of metal that they can sell. And that's what Calvin did. But Calvin was curious. So while he was mining and selling metal to help his mom, he was wondering about what he could do with all that metal. So he wanted to experiment and what he, with what he had found, but in his community, they only had electricity for a few hours a week, which limited his ability to experiment at all. So he thought there had to be a way to solve that particular problem. So he went to the library, but all he found were these dilapidated, old, outdated engineering books. But he read them anyway, and he found information to help him. He learned how to make a battery to give him more hours of energy to do the experiments he was thinking about. And that led him to making his own electric generator. And that generator became the proverbial meeting place for the entire community. People met there to recharge the recycled cell phones that they rebuilt while catching up with each other and, and having a good time, quite frankly. So when all this started, Calvin was barely 10 years old. He's barely 10. I can't stress this enough. He's <laughs> a really smart kid. So four years later, he took it even further. He was passionate about music. So he decided to start his own radio station. So he built one. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's what you do when you're 14 years old and you like music. He played his favorite songs. He broadcast football matches for everybody. He had neighbors calling in just so they could talk about their problems. And everyone started calling him DJ Focus. Then there was an innovation contest for high school students. So Kelvin participated, and he became one of the finalists, of course. And that's when he met a gentleman named David Senge, a doctoral student at MIT, Mass Institute of Technology, who was totally amazed. He was in awe with the pieces of garbage that Kelvin managed to create technology with. But most impressive is the fact that he was self-taught. So as a result of his accomplishment, he received an invitation to the United States and subsequently became the youngest person to participate in the Visiting Practitioners Program at MIT. He was a speaker at TEDx Teen and lectured to undergraduate engineering students at Harvard College. He signed a $100,000 solar project with Canadian high-speed service provider Sierra Wi-Fi, and he has had the opportunity of meeting various leaders of the world, including former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, um, the Ghanaian President Nana Akufo Addo. He has also been able to speak to young people in Africa on different platforms, and he became an honorary board member of Emergency USA, which is an organization with a mission to provide free medical and surgical care to the victims of war and poverty. Now he's 26. He owns and runs his own company, K-DOE, DOE Tech Inc., where he designs and sells computer electronics. He really has become quite accomplished in starting his journey at a very young age of 10. And he is this week's Soji Share. So kudos to you, Calvin Doe. And this right here, this is the good stuff that's happening in our world. And our children are coming up with these ideas. And they're so young when they do it. And this is also the good stuff that Soji focuses on and wants to share with you, our listeners, each and every week. So just hearing about the good in the world, stories like this, is so very positive and impactful. And that alone makes the positive ripples even more enormous. So 
So, you know, when you see some kid doing something, seek out the positive and, and tell them that they're doing a great thing and really spur them on, encourage them. It's good for you. It's great for your mental health. It's great for the kids. And in doing so, you're going to help lift everybody else all around you as well. You know, our energy is contagious. So keep it positive and let's spread a good contagion for a change, make a positive impact. That is a win-win. And we like those at, from the heart radio. We really do win-win situations. So that's our Soji share. Thank you for putting up with me and listening to that. But I thought this kid was just unbelievable. So now let's get back to the discussion with Reiner Lohm, author of Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change, No Matter Where You Are. You can learn more about Reiner by visiting his website, Reiner Lohm. So go ahead and write this down now, R-E-I-N-E-R-L-O-M, as in Mary, B.com, and check out his site after the show. So before our Soju share, we reviewed the seven essential emotions for leading positive change, no matter where you are, okay? Now, I know that we talk about changing the emotions, which is not easy for people to do because they don't always realize what they need to do. So, Reiner, what is your process to changing emotions? Yeah, this is a, this is a very good question, and I, I need to um, make a compliment on this example uh, that you just shared. You no, know, and and your call for uh, people to look out for the positive um, stories, the positive examples, because that alone can create an emotional shift, right? If you find yeah. these sources of positivity, right? Because like the the news are we we are bombarded, and social media also. Uh, with negativity, negative headlines, and so on, and it's uh, the statistics around it. I don't have the exact statistic right now, but I, I, it's very depressing. So it, it puts people down, and they feel bad about it, and maybe they become fearful. Maybe the uh, anxiety is high in our society, uh, uh, and, and things like that. Stress um, it, it adds to the stress of regular life, right? That people have. Yeah. To do with. So I just want to make that link. So that alone is an example of where somebody can say, let's look out for the, the positive stories, the positive examples, and uh, that already creates a, a, a shift to positive emotions. Now, if you want mm. to be more selective, so let's say you're in a, in a leadership situation, uh, like one of the challenges that many uh, people have uh, in, in corporate world, but in general, it's like to be really a visionary leader. Okay, and that comes from a lot of the negativities that they experience, the stress, the, the uh, I, I, I coach uh, and work with indigenous leaders, uh, and there was the leader of one tribe, um, and, and he's, he's in the book um, and, and as an example, but when I met him first, um, and he shared with me, and, and his other leaders shared with me the the situation in which the tribe was in, so the example was like average um, uh, age that people were would die was 55, right? So in, this, in, in general in society, I think it's 75 or 77, something like that, right? 20 or more years earlier, right? right. Um, yep. All the other things, the suicide rate, the dropout rate from young people, depression, alcoholism, uh, drug use, and, and et cetera, et cetera, homelessness. So everything is magnified. Now, so I was meeting this leader who uh, really cared deeply about the future of his tribe. And we have, in the U.S., we have 566 um, registered tribe or recognized tribes, and this is one of them. 
And he wanted to uh, bring the leadership team together and uh, ask me to facilitate that, to develop a, a vision for the future and a plan to get, to get like strategies and plans to move towards that future. And the state that this leadership team was in, it, it, uh, uh, was not, they were not able to really uh, see a, a vision. They had to move, they had to create an emotional shift, really to, uh, to be optimistic or hopeful at least, that whatever they come up with, that, that it's possible, that at least it is possible to create a better future for their tribe where the children would thrive and the tribe would not, uh, you know, die, basically, right? Because they right. don't have the young people take them into the future. And and so, so in this case, uh, and I have seen it in other cases, there was a lot of resentment about uh, that what happened to the indigenous people no there was a lot of um there was a lot of negativity in terms of the day to day uh drama and tragedy the people dying and they had to help these families and there was no time no energy mental energy to think about the future so what he did is he took first the people out of the reservation and into a place where they were undisturbed the leaders together and where I could facilitate that we brought in uh like medium a medium to think about the future that is more accessible to them because like indigenous people they're not so much um, like using the written word to express a future or or imagine something or planning so i brought in an artist that would draw their vision on the wall we brought in music we saw all the things that helped to create a, a mood and a shift that they were that was made them more optimistic and what what was able for them to allow to express and articulate the, their dreams. So if they had a magic wand, how would that and, the, and that magic wand was the most powerful thing that you can have. If any wish comes true, how what would you wish for your children in the future? And it was mm. it was just amazing. It was an amazing experience. And he he later. Um, when we talked about it year, years later, follow up on that, then a lot of planning happened. I was called back to facilitate the execution, a lot of these plans and so on. Uh, and great things have happened since then. Still a lot of issues, you know, it's ne- never over. <laughs> but you uh, <laughs> within eight years uh, of, of that work, and the, he said, the chairman of the tribe said, uh, this was really an emotional shift for me. I was in the valley. And I could not see into the future. And you, you helped me climb up to the mountain where I could see far into the distance and into a future. And I, I could be optimistic that this is achievable. Right? So this was just an example. So exercises that help people to move out of resentment. Uh, sometimes what I have to do is move, help people shift first to acceptance. Acceptance meaning the things that happened in the past cannot be changed. Uh, no matter no matter how much you dwell on it, no matter, matter how much you ruminate about it and talk about it. So accepting it, not that you have to like it, but accepting it as something that is unchangeable. So from acceptance, then it's easier to, to shift to optimism than directly from resentment to, uh, to optimism. Sure, yeah, because you do have to accept first. That's the first step. Uh, you yeah. know, you mentioned that when you did this, and you asked people to say, what did they wish for their children? Was there any common thread there? Did people want the same for their children? Do you remember? 
Yes, yes. The the uh, the big theme was so in this case uh, it, the situation is that these children live in two worlds. One with one leg um, in the indigenous culture, uh-huh. right, and in the, with the other leg in the in the white American culture, no? the modern modern world. And so so they, they wanted them to flourish and to succeed in both worlds. They wanted them to be rooted within their culture, the indigenous culture, because they saw a lot of strength, or they see a lot of strength in it. Uh, for example, later on, we would do youth leadership development programs where I helped them to, uh, the, the youth leaders, to come up with what are the strengths in their own culture that they value that helps them to be resilient, to, for example, not use trucks when things get tough and, and find other ways of, of overcoming those issues. Right? So they wanted to have them live in both cultures and succeed in both cultures, be connected to their roots, but also be successful out there in this modern world. Okay. And they wanted to have to have them a future, be healthy, be educated, be uh, uh, motivated to learn and grow. Uh, you know, a healthy, healthy, a life of well-being, but also uh, where they flourish. They really um, use their culture as as a source of strength. They really wanted their kids to be happy and live in peace. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and the yeah. kids would say the same thing. When I when I talk to the kids, uh, they would say the same thing. They say, we want to just live a normal life, you know. We don't want to yep. deal with all that trauma and stress. And we, we want, you know, have food on the table when we come home from school. We want to be not bullied in school because we are uh, we look different or we talk different, et cetera, et cetera. So what normal kids, what all the kids want, no? My, my daughter would yeah. say the same thing. I don't want to yeah, be bullied absolutely. in school. I want to have friends. Yep. And, and when they say that, and then there's somebody who is a bully, it makes it particularly difficult because that just, you know, perpetuates the problem. Now, most everyone on our planet was thrown into survival mode over two years ago. You, you talked about this a few moments ago. You mentioned that. And to say that we were hurled into challenging times is actually it's putting it mildly. And we're still not back on track where we were pre-COVID, which wasn't great given all the violence and divisiveness that we had in the world at that point in time anyway. But the final behavior that you spoke to was positivity and being resilient. And this is just beginning to be taught to children in schools, resiliency, Mm self-efficacy. It's my favorite topic when I'm working with students because it's the one that teaches them how to get through adversity. It teaches them how to struggle well. We all know we're going to struggle. Life has adversity. We're all going to have to struggle at some point. But it's how do you manage to struggle? How well do you learn how to struggle? And I think that's important for children to learn or anyone to learn because it's never really been taught before. So what recommendations do you have on how to build resiliency? Yeah. I mean, the um, one is really to be aware of your own emotions. And like, so if, if, if something like that shock of the pandemic or maybe even worse that uh, like family member had died or somebody close uh, was very sick, um, I know we were during the pandemic at some point, our daughter, she didn't have COVID, but she had a, also an infection of the lungs that looked like mm. COVID. Oh. Doctors uh, on x-ray and so on, and so she, she had to be hospitalized. I could not go within the hospital. Only one parent could 
got, I was sitting outside not knowing, uh, and it was a real crisis. So it was really yes. fearful. I had anxiety and, 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 and so on. So uh, but a lot of people, millions of people have gone through, through these experiences and some with a tra- tragic outcome. And the question is, uh, what can you do to be aware of, of your emotions in that moment and be uh, conscious about, is this an, a helpful emotion right now for me and my loved ones or the people I'm responsible for that, that I'm leading or that I'm influencing that I have an impact on to get through? Is that the, that emotion or that mix of emotions the best uh, emotions that help me to get through it? If not, uh, then to choose the ones that that you need to cultivate. And uh, I have a personal example. I had uh, I lost two close uh, two siblings during the pandemic, very tragically. I don't want to go into mm, the details so yeah. because I don't want to pull everybody down. But but I had to consciously, and I was writing, I was, <laughs> interestingly, I was writing on the book and so on. It gave a whole uh, another level of appreciation and depth of it. So I said, I'm going to practice what I'm writing about. Okay? So I'm yeah. going to grieve. I'm going to grieve mm-hmm. because I know that's a healthy way to get through it. I had a grieving counselor and so on. But I'm also going to balance it with positive emotions. And in order to do that, I must, I, I need to create every day enough positive experiences so that I feel these positive emotions. So I changed my whole schedule and I, I created basically a plan. What is, what, how I'm going to start my day so that I, that I start my day positively took some time during the day to grieve, but also I took a lot of time to tap into sources of positivity. Like, for example, I would, let's say, uh, you know, do, do a walk in, 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 in nature uh, before I even start working. And interestingly, <laughs> I, I felt like despite all the sadness and the craving, I was more productive than before. Mm. Yeah, because you, you set the time, time to do myself. it. Yeah. yeah, and I felt I felt empowered. I felt confident. I said, oh, I can shift my emotions. I can choose them. I can become, obviously, I would meditate. I would you know, listen to music. I would you know, spend time with my family and things like that in joyful activities um, in addition to the craving time and so on and, and talking, you know, to relatives about it and so on. But that, so that was a bit, for me, a very po- a powerful personal experience. But I also come into, uh, in doing that whole pandemic, uh, my clients, uh, some, some clients uh, had to, uh, you know, put the, the, my, the contract on hold because they didn't know where the business was going, if they had the money and so on. And, but I would continue to, to the most important clients that I, my regular clients that I had for a long time, I would call in, mm-hmm. check in from time to time and help them. And it was very beneficial to them to have somebody. And I would really try to insert positivity, help to create for them some hope to get out of this. Um, and, and that was also for me gratifying as well to be of service. And that really Absolutely. Also positive yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. Because what we do for others does come back to us. You know, the joy, give joy, get joy. If we just remember that, if we're putting joy out, joy is going to come back to us. And if everybody did that, the world would be a whole lot different. <laughs> but, you know, yes. not everybody yes, yes. does do that. So there you go. We are almost out of time, Reiner. I, I want to know, are there any final thoughts you have for our audience? 
Yes, yes. I, I'm going to come back to the very beginning. What you said. This is for for anybody, for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the, the book is built on three premises. One that anybody, everybody, every of your listener, any of your listener can create positive change. Okay. Yep. Uh, in order to create positive change, you need to influence people's behavior. People need to change their behavior, starting with your own behavior. And in order to change behavior. You need to learn shifting or be in the right emotional state, shift to the right emotions that support that behavior, and that can be learned. Yes. So this is basically, I encourage everybody to say, because very often I come into a situation, or I just had a week ago, I was at a client, and at the end of the two-day workshop, one of the leaders said, I, I, I'm so optimistic now, I did not believe that I was that I was able to create change here. I thought mm-hmm. I just had to take to as they are. And uh, this was a young leader, um, didn't have the experience yet that, that he, he, it was he, that he can create change. And it was for, for me very gratifying, very, uh, that's kind of what, I'm, what I want to leave uh, your listeners with, that everybody can create change by learning those seven emotions and driving the behaviors that um, allow them to create the change. And I will say that, you know, this book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change, no matter where you are, is transformational. It is. It is transforming. It's a quick read, too. It's not a difficult read. It's not academic. You will not be bored. Read the very first story, the preface, and then go on in sequence. Don't skip around and think you know what you're doing because it does build on each other. So, you know, go out and get the book. It really, it really, really will make a difference. You will see a difference almost instantly. Because if you start to even put one of them into play, you'll notice that you'll want to do the others, but the first one will start to make a difference for you. So, Reiner, before we go, you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and your work and where they may purchase your book, Aspire, Seven Essential Emotions for Leading Positive Change, no matter where you are. Yeah, so people can go to my website, ReinerLomp.com, the one that you mentioned before, uh, mm-hmm. that they can learn about more about uh, my work, and they can also contact me there uh, through the um, through the contact page. Uh, and uh, the, the, the spy is available on uh, on Amazon uh, in any country where in every country where Amazon is shipping. Uh, so Amazon.com for the United States, and then the other domains. Uh, it's uh, orderable there. Great. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure having you on the show. If you would just hold for a couple of minutes while I do the outro, and then I'll speak with you after the show. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So please share the good news by sending this link to this show to everyone you know, and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at From the Heart Radio, I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at From the Heart Radio.
Please also check out Soji Huggles Children's Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%. We are run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries. There are no stipends, no compensation of any kind to anyone. Every penny goes toward underprivileged children. And right now, we're helping subsidize the cost of mental health sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much-needed therapy. And if you do not have strong mental health, you cannot learn to live well at all. It is vitally important. All children deserve a fair chance for a good life. All children. And that starts with mental health. Children need help. Together we can provide them the help they need. So please consider donating to SojiKids.org. Your donation does make a difference because every single dollar matters. And if you'd like to sponsor a child, please visit SojiKids.org to learn how. At Soji Huggles, we are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. So thank you for taking time to visit our website, S-O-J-I-K-I-D-S.org. So please follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. And while you're in your so- social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. We shall leave you with From the Heart Radio's Thought for the Week, which is the quote that is written on the East Side Gallery Berlin Wall Memorial. And it is in Rhino Loam's book, Aspire. Many small people who in many small places do many small things can alter the face of the world. I am your host, T. Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.